Hey listeners, Tina here. I've got very exciting news to report. C-Suite Social Media, my marketing agency of five and a half years and sponsor of In The Suite podcast was acquired by Intentionally, the growth engine design consultancy firm founded by my friends, Kelly Waltrick and Megan Richter. I couldn't be more excited and grateful to join Intentionally. And like you, I've learned so much here in the suite from our amazing guests that I've applied it to my own life. So it means so much that you're here. Thank you again for listening. And please connect with me on LinkedIn if you wanna stay in touch, especially for the 2023 season. I'm gonna be changing things up a bit. It's gonna be great programming. I'm really, really excited. So uh, with that, on to the episode. On this week's episode of In The Suite with Tina Powell. I actually like working with people on any project. Yes, I love the engineering, but it was the people element. It was me trying to understand what made them tick. It was me really saying, hold up, are we all just going to pretend like we got a memo on how life is to be? Are we all going to pretend that we got a guideline? And most importantly, are we all going to pretend that we came from the same beginning, the same environment? Hi, this is Tina Powell, host of In The Suite, where I sit down with top women leaders and some of the biggest names in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Together, we'll discover some of their best secrets and top strategies to grow a great business, build a strong brand, and lead teams in the 21st century. I hope you'll enjoy hearing their amazing personal stories of triumph, trepidation, and transformation in hopes of becoming better leaders ourselves. The time for you to lead is now, and you're in the suite. I'm honored to welcome Yemi Penn in the suite. Yemi is a transformational thought leader, an author, documentary producer, a TEDx speaker, and a global advocate for equity and equality in STEM fields. Yemi is a British-born Nigerian living in Sydney who's an engineer by profession, an entrepreneur by passion, and a transformational mindset coach by mission. A mother of two with a rebellious curiosity for life and business, Yemi is currently working towards her lifelong goal of a PhD. Her first book, Did You Get the Memo? Because I effing didn't, prompts the powerful message of owning our story, breaking free of living life by the rules, stepping out of our shadows, and finding our voice to transmute pain into power. This led Yemi to gaining an international reputation as a motivational speaker. She continues sharing her personal and business insights through creative mediums, including her three-part documentary series, Did I Choose My Trauma? Yemi achieved all of this while developing four successful companies. Simply put, she's on a mission to change society by evaluating the conversation around diversity and disruption. In fact, one of the many gifts that you'll discover about Yemi Penn in this episode is that her success did not happen overnight, and she's experienced a lot of adversity throughout her life. Yemi talks about making decisions and thinking out of the box for yourself, finding strength in stillness, saying yes to taboo stories, and not being comfortable with the uncomfortable, 
Yemi's journey proves that success doesn't come from a single formula. I can't wait for you to hear today's powerful conversation with Yemi Penn in the suite. Wow, Yemi Penn, take a seat in the suite today. I'm so, so excited to see you here. I've been looking forward to this for months. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, I want to match your energy. Thank you so, so much for having me. I like I like the feel of this seat in the suite. Thank you so, so much for having me. Really, really excited to see what come, comes out. Really, really, what an, what an honor. This is my passion project. And I know that you have a lot of passion projects going on too. And I feel that woman to woman, business owner to business owner, we have so many things, Yemi, that, that we can share and that we're going to talk about. I know that our, our listening audience too, they're going to learn so many incredible things and be inspired by you and your story. So I'll get right into it. So we've had a lot of guests in here, but never an author, a documentary producer, a speaker, a TEDx speaker an engineer. You are a woman of so many incredible, incredible gifts. Now I know, spoiler alert here, the road hasn't always been easy, but certainly you're this, what I say, we say is this jack of all trades. And so how far back, Yemi, do you want to kind of take us, take us back? Yeah. I mean, definitely. I remember my mom saying, you're a jack of all trades and people will struggle. And and I and some people do struggle. I think some people struggle with anyone having multiple roles because then they can't be put into a box or a label, which sometimes I think is dangerous. So more and more, I'm really breaking out of the label box. But my engineering came because I didn't want to study law. My dad was a lawyer. And typically in the Nigerian, the West African culture, but typically Nigerian culture, you kind of follow on from what your parents did or what your dad in particular did. And my dad was a lawyer. He was a great man. May he rest in peace. But my my brother, the oldest, didn't do, my two oldest brothers didn't do law. So the theory was that one would carry on with his, his line of work. This was in Nigeria, but I was in the UK. And I studied law and I just thought, no, I cannot see myself arguing endlessly So I'm just going to let that one go. And then I started to get creative with my hands. I remember putting together an Ikea desk and it took forever. It was meant to be 90 minutes, but I was still on that floor hammering pieces of wood in for like nine hours later. But it was so, it felt so good to achieve something like that. And that was when the idea of engineering came in because I was still at college. And yeah, I decided to do engineering and have loved everything every single part and I've got to be honest with you it's probably the baseline of a lot of what I do because for me engineering is about transformation you have an idea to do something you then have a group of people that come together design it then you've got another group of people that build it look for the safety and then it's created and people get to use it so I just I love the philosophy behind engineering and I love actual engineering and so yeah that's that's my story of of that part in a nutshell yeah and so in your earlier career Talk to us a little bit about what that earlier career looked like, because right now you've got four different businesses. You're based in Australia right now, but go back and give us a sense of what that initial career journey looked like for you. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was really blessed and fortunate and and definitely had an element of privilege of being able to get an education where I know a lot of people in my shoes don't necessarily do. 
it was just working on real projects. That that was the beginning of it. It was just work. But actually, first it was automotive. I loved the car industry. Then I loved the chemical plant industry, and then the rail. There was something about the rail. Like, how can I get? Because I don't really love flying, so I needed something on ground that was faster than the car. So my 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 real my real kind of experience in engineering started from that from that industry. However, what became really apparent when I relocated to Australia eight years ago was that I actually liked working with people on any projects. Yes, I loved the engineering, but it was the people element. It was me trying to understand what made them tick, what got them want to be more involved in a project than not, what got them returning their deliverables a lot quicker than I needed than others. That was what really made me tick. And so I started to speak like at events. I would chair the Women in Engineering Forum or I would chair a lunch and learn where we just got to learn something different. And then that's when I found, okay, I have this gift to be able to articulate things in a certain way and make people feel safe and comfortable in a room, regardless of where they where they come from. And that started to morph pretty quickly. I mean, really, really quickly, because I've probably only been speaking publicly on stage for the past kind of four years. Some people say they've been doing this for years, but for me, it was four years. And I was someone who was very quiet, who was very shy. And from there, this hunger of entrepreneurship really grew out, even though there were bits of it in the UK before I came to Australia. But it really came in full force in Australia Australia when I call it finding my voice. When I found my voice, it was, yeah, it was like, let's go. We've been waiting for too long. It's so interesting to, to research your guests. And like I started talking in the beginning, Yemi, it sounds like you had a very steep climb up. If you could elaborate, when did the homelessness start? When did that period in your life happen? That was a blip. Because mm-hmm. when you say start, it kind of started and ended in its physical sense very quickly. Yeah. However, it's it's how long we let it last for. So that would have been, so I would have graduated from uni. So I would have been, I don't know, 24. And I really remember thinking, there's got to be more to life than this. You are not telling me I've just been working my ass off <laughs> to just get into a job that I now have to work till I'm 60, 70. It just, I just don't understand how anybody could sign up for that. And I understand why we have, but I just don't understand why we are still not questioning it. And I thought, well, (laughs) maybe it's time to give life. Once again, I didn't get the memo on that. And so I I fell pregnant with my partner who, you know, then I loved dearly. He's the father of my daughter, so I still loved him, even though the relationship has always been difficult. But at the time it started getting difficult. I think my parents and and his parents were like, yeah, you guys have done things the wrong way. We, you really need to get married. And we didn't want to get married then. We just wanted to have our daughter. And it got to the point of, well, you're not going to be able to stay at home. You're going to have to go fend for yourself. And even though I had a job, I didn't have enough money to pay for rent. I, like, and once again, that's what I mean. It just, it, it just doesn't add up. I don't understand how we have any profession in here that still would make people struggle to live and get a roof over their head. And so I found myself in a position with no home and needed to go register myself homeless with the, with the government board. But it got to the point that I actually had to be out on the street. I had to be out on the street in order to actually get a property. And there was at least one night where I was out way past midnight. I think I was about either five or six months pregnant, just hoping they'd house me. And they eventually did house me in a halfway house, which really was nowhere meant to be in the 
the linings of my story. So it was, it was, yeah, it was a humbling, confronting, mm. but also transformational experience as a result. I so thank you for sharing and being open about that. I would have never have asked you if it didn't already come out no. on all of your social channels. And that's what I really think that you represent is that clearly articulate, educated, accomplished woman, but maybe at a time in your life, it's okay for us to take a stumble and take a fall. And there's a, there's no journey that's, that's straight up. You're known for exposing what's really hard to talk about. And that is trauma. And yet you are, you're such an accomplished woman who's been so open about trauma. And I think a lot of us, especially females, we're afraid of being judged, Yemi. We're afraid of putting mm. ourselves out. We're here, oh, be your authentic self. Put yourself out there. But the problem is that while on one hand, we might want to do that, there's a risk to doing that. Are we going to get fired by our clients? And are we going to get yeah. that job? And is that person still going to be my friend, right? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's extremely, extremely powerful that you were able to create a series of documentaries, Jack Canfield, author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. I mean, you were at his house, right? In his home in Santa Barbara. Yeah. I mean, that blew my mind, that invitation, but yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that we're going to have a link to the show notes. I watched those documentaries last night. I happened to be staying in, in New York City. I was on a corporate assignment there. And I have to tell you, I was really, I was really touched and I am just in awe of your story. And I'm in awe of you putting it out there in documentary. How did you get that idea to go with it through the documentary perspective? Yeah, I had a business manager. She's currently on maternity leave. I think she was drawn to my story when I was looking for someone and we just connected. And I remember when I wrote my book, I thought of like, so I thought of wanting to do a documentary. I just wanted to go and speak to different people to hear, well, how are you creating life for you? Because I was creating my own life. Like I literally have rewritten the whole memo, the whole blueprint on how I live life. And I'm, I'm really inviting others to do the same. For me, it's my best version of, of freedom in this, in, this, in this current lifetime. So I wanted to do a documentary on that. But what was interesting is that everybody seemed to be really interested in the childhood trauma chapter. And everybody mm. seemed to have some sort of childhood trauma of some sort. But we just weren't talking about it. And I was thinking, wait, has everyone just been waiting for somebody else to be brave enough to talk about it so that they can talk about it? And then that was when my manager, Varusha, said, why don't we do a documentary on trauma? And I was like, no, 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 or something along those lines. And I remember having a reading because I've started to go into different modalities of, of healing or understanding myself. And someone said, we think you should study again. Or, or no, we, I think your guides think you should do some more study. And I was like, no, the only next thing for me is a PhD and I'm not spending four years. <laughs> and that was when I thought, well, how about I do some studying, but through documentary? Because we had gone into lockdown for the pandemic and I knew that our attention span was diminishing as we were being completely flooded with stuff on media. And I thought, how can I put something that isn't too long, a 20 minute, but we even cut it up into three mini bite size, like seven minutes each, and actually share my story and invite people to hear a different narrative. But how can I do it creatively? And that was where it came through with myself and Farusha. And it just honestly, it, it, it manifested in such a unique, brilliant way because we created that from start to finish over three months. Considering I had never been in the film industry 
I literally found a, a producer. We found an editor, a cinematographer. I mean, it was just, it was profound. And, and as a result, got invited to Jack Canfield. As a result, got invited to TEDx. And, and this is what I mean. I just said yes to talking about the taboo stuff that really needs to be spoken about in a compassionate way. And the doors started opening. And I just think there's something in that when we look at our trauma. That's the essence of what I want our listening audience to understand. That I think is where you can really bridge another narrative, right? By taking a chance, by taking a risk. I'm sure that it was so hard to do. And then look again, all of the things that came out of it. And in the beginning, you're not thinking about where it's going to lead in the future. You also wrote a book too. Did the book come after the the documentary? And I would love for you to share the title of the book is freaking awesome. <laughs> Am I allowed to say the word? <laughs> you are allowed to say the word. Guess what? This is my podcast and I and I get to I get to make the rules. <laughs> I love it. I have permission. No, the book came out before it really it was the entry point. It was my teaser to the world saying are you going to see me when I speak? I didn't know if I was worthy to be seen. Yes, I'm not expecting 7 billion, 8 billion people to acknowledge me, but I just wanted to know. And that's why I wrote the book. And the book is titled, Did You Get the Memo? Because I fucking didn't. Literally, that is exactly what it's called. It was me really saying, hold up, are we all just going to pretend like we got a memo on how life is to be? Are we all going to pretend that we got a guideline and most importantly are we all going to pretend that we came from the same beginning the same environment and I just I was just looking around like who's talking about this who is talking about the fact that we might not all fall in love with a man or a woman who made the decision that we might not all want to have 2.4 kids in a white picket fence or who I mean who bloody assumed that women would have the same rights as, as men or black the same as white or Indian or Asian like it just once again I I wasn't hearing this narrative strongly and the book was purely just to do that and then it started a conversation so much so that it's now got me onto a revolution because I am now doing my PhD even though I was so adamant I wouldn't I'm so (laughs) happy and I should mention right you have also to a video on your website that talks a little bit about the book tour which was in Sydney Melbourne London, Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa. You've been around the world and at Jack Jack Canfield's house too. (laughs) Right during the pandemic. I wasn't able to sadly make all those countries because the pandemic came and shut down. Oh, okay. We will we will be going back on it. But yeah, even during the pandemic, I was definitely trying to get my travel on. So yeah, I'll get back to it soon. Talk to us a little bit about the PhD. I'm really fascinated. I'm fascinated yeah. by that. What does that what does that look like? How do you fit that into your your life right now? How long is it going to take? I know what well, I mean, great question. It's funny when when you're talking through my bio. So, I have had four businesses, but only just very recently, literally within the past 4 to 8 weeks, let go of two of those. Mm-hmm. And I let go of two of those so I could focus on my PhD. And because I'm now getting into a different stage of life, I, I'm really going from the do, do, do to the BBB. <sighs> I need to be, I really need to be more. And it's just a guiding, guiding force or principle or light. And I can't explain it. I love your heart emoji there. <laughs> I really can't. <laughs> I had to do I that could. because I was a do, do, do too. And before we got on this call, everyone, I wished Yemi a happy birthday. Uh, beautiful Aww. woman. You look fantastic. 
So you came to the conclusion four, eight weeks ago that you were going to let two of the businesses go. Could you talk a little yeah. bit about those businesses too? Because again, I'm, I'm having a hard time challenged by one business. This podcast yeah. could be a second business. So I'm fascinated, like how you managed to do so much at one time. Well, firstly, firstly, I think, I think we have to understand our relationship with time. When people come up to me and say, how do you do all these things? I remember asking the same question, but wondering, well, how did Richard Branson do it? And how do other people do it? And I just think of some key people. How does Oprah do it? Whoever it is. And yes, without a shadow of a doubt, they now have the finances to get other people to do it. But at some point they didn't. At some point they didn't. And so this is, as I explained to you, I'm currently at a meditation retreat. I first came into transcendental meditation in 2019. And what I found, despite having a very busy mind and struggling to be still for 20 minutes, I found that just two minutes of intentional silence kind of gave me the brain space to be able to solve problems at rapid speed. That's the way I break it down. I break it down in that particular modality allows me to create more space and therefore I'm able to achieve things a lot quicker than anyone else. I sleep more, I think, than the average person, believe it or not. I really do. I have naps in the afternoon. It just makes me sharper for the things that I focus on. And I also get really good and quick at making decisions of what's not for me and what is. I think most of us, and and that's what I mean by what our concept of time. So that's how it happens. So this particular business that I let go of was my second business, which was probably one of my biggest achievements. It was opening a gym in the UK whilst I was in Australia. That blows my mind. I literally guinea pigged myself. (laughs) I guinea pigged myself to see, can this single mom of two who was struggling financially, my first business was the reason that really brought everything everything open. And it was because I had started looking at my trauma that also took a risk on me. And so opening the gym was hard and then trying to manage it remotely and a lot of things. But when 2020 happened, I brought in a managing director because I was the sole director to begin with. And I've been a director for, well, since, since I opened it in 2018. But there were some difficult moments that happened in it. I wish it hadn't happened, but maybe it was meant to happen because it got to the point that it really, I had to question, do I still need to hold the directorship of this? And I found out quickly that I was tying my identity to being an owner of a gym. Mm. And that's where we got to get really real with ourselves. And I call it radical honesty. Um, did I, but there was a part of me that thought, Yemi, you can't do this again. That was a blip. But it's funny how we diminish some of our accomplishments that I had to make the decision to let it go. And the other one was I opened a cafe once again in the middle of the pandemic, I believe in 2020. Was it 2020 or 2021? Yeah, I it's, I know, it's like a blur, right? It, it started yeah. in March of 2020. <laughs> oh, merged. Those two yeah, years are just crazy. a blur. <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness, it was 2020. Yeah. I opened up a cafe, wanted to dabble in the hospitality industry because that Mm. was it, it was hospitality. I wanted us to be the space where everybody could be seen and heard. One of the hardest businesses I've ever been in because, once again, it doesn't make sense. And sadly, the the last wave that we had here in Australia earlier this year, I just thought, yeah, I can't do this. I have to be comfortable with losing money. Yes, debt has been accrued, but I have to be comfortable. If I look at some of the people that have done really well in life, my goodness, According to the standards of the world, they failed. But my goodness, failure is not to try. So it was a decision to close down. I could have fought a bit more, but I wanted to save that energy for my PhD. I um, love that. How are you doing your PhD? How long is it going to going to take? That's a, a huge undertaking. It is. It's a huge undertaking. I love until it. Until you realize that this is going to be your work for the rest oh. of your life. 
for, for, for sure. I'm so in. How many I'm PhDs so do you have? I don't. You, so, you must have a, no, but you must have a few because we just give it a title. Mm. Tell me how many things have you been researching in your life that has been longer than three, four years? Correct. And how many times have we used ourselves as our own guinea pig? So by definition, Correct. right, getting a PhD is doing original research in an area. Yeah. And so I feel like my whole life, every day I try to go out like you and get just even showing up to life is getting a PhD because I'm constantly trying to find myself. Life is constantly changing. I'm making different decisions. I'm pivoting in this direction. It's never a static event. It's been more dynamic and more volatile as anything these last couple of years. And I think what it's done is that it's given me the reflection back that I need to make good choices. And that's where I try to focus my life. And too many times we get tripped up by what is the right decision? And I'm that person, right? I want to make the right decision. I might want to make the the right choice. Well, sometimes trying to make the right choice, you're paralyzed and you're better off making a choice. And if that didn't turn out to be the right choice, then you'll know later on, but it's better than not making a choice at all. Right. Absolutely. You couldn't have said it better. Just make a choice. Just, yeah. When, as someone also too, I think mindfulness has been in the last, what I'll call like really five years, especially. What is the difference between transcendental meditation versus regular meditation? How did it show up in your life? Because that, that also too is another area that I would love to learn more about. Yeah, my partner, it came through my partner. He was reading this book called Strength in Stillness. And I mean, what a powerful paradox and an oxymoron and everything. Strength in stillness. Yeah, that challenged all of my belief systems. And that was where he came across transcendental meditation. I tried the regular meditation, but I found that I I followed a breath and then I'd go off. But what transcendental is, it's actually, I'm definitely sure he's from India. He's passed away now, but his he's life spans over countries. It's where you kind of go and you have a teacher, but you have a specific mantra specified for you. Mm. Now, I think for me, that, that gives me focus. It gives me focus with a meaning and a vibration through my own body. So I'm literally repeating the mantra over and over again at pace. And what that does more than any other meditation for me and everybody's different, something happens that it feels like I'm being pulled in. So I kind of go deep into something and that deep, it just feels weightless. Like there's no, like, I don't even know I'm sitting on a chair and I, it feels like a vortex. If I could describe a vortex, it feels like a vortex and I'm being pulled in. And as a result, nothing seems to matter in that time. Sometimes I'm trying to solve problems but nothing just seems to matter. And so I come out with significantly more clarity. And that's the difference for me for transcendental. I think it's my own bespoke mantra that really helps me stay focused. Hmm. Do you spend a certain amount of time in transcendental meditation? Look, my view is nothing ever has to be done, but you are guided to do two two 20-minute meditations a day. I'm currently at a transcendental meditation retreat. So once I finish with this, I will, but this is particularly special. I will do two rounds of 20 minutes, but typically you do one in the morning and then you do one in the evening, way before bedtime. But I'll tell you now, in my 20 minutes, I find my brain doing a lot of chitter chatter for 15 minutes. And then the other five minutes is is solid. And I love it. Love it. Mm, That's so fascinating. The book again was Strength and Stillness. Yes, by Bob Roth. Oh, Oh, I can't wait. We'll make sure that gets in the show notes. 
listeners, are you looking for actionable advice and motivation to get you through your day? Follow us on In The Sweet Pod on Instagram. This week, we feature nine questions to develop a growth mindset and the Eisenhower Matrix, which is a system to help you get stuff done and prioritize your work. Boss Business Academy said this, this is so helpful. Yes, delegation can definitely help us get more done. So follow us at In The Sweet Pod. I want to go back to the book, Yemi, because I don't want to Mm. casually gloss over it. And I think that one of the things that you've done is you've lived a well, and you are still, you're still just beginning, my dear. But for women in particularly who are at a certain stage of their life, who are still trying to figure out who they are and what that next step is. And should I, should I go for my PhD? Should I stay in this area? Should I move? I I spoke to somebody that was a woman. She's a a professional in in business and she is literally moving from the East coast to the West coast because that's where her family is. And now she's the mother of children and family's very important to her. What would be your advice for women? And again, in particular with, did you get the memo? What would you be your advice to help women find themselves and figure out who they are? Mm. I think the first thing would be they need to find some silence. We're talking about strength and stillness. They need to find some silence. And if you're listening to this and the first thing you said is, I can't find it, that has become your mantra. You've got to be careful of what has become your mantra. When you ask someone a question, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Like it's become your go-to. It's the word you've used to the point that you shut off the whole circuit in your brain to even look for something else. I hear you. I believe you, especially as women, especially as mothers. But if you constantly hold that care role, you probably don't have any time. But I'm Mm -hmm. trying to say that you can find time. You can find time if you get rid of the mantra that says you can't. That's number one, because you will start to find the space. You will start to get really creative on what it is you need to do. to just, even if it was just for a weekend or a night at worst, like if you just got the time and just sit and say, what is working and what isn't working in my life? Some people like structure and you've got the whole wheel of life. So you can literally Google that. The wheel of life is a really great place to start where you just kind of give a mark out of 10 of how you're feeling in different areas of your life. But if you don't want that kind of structure, just find silence, have yourself a nice bath, nice dinner, and just with no distractions, just ask yourself some really high quality questions. What is working for you in life right now? And what isn't? Just start with that. And then, I mean, the work continues after that. But my coach said this to me, which I love. You can't say goodbye to something you won't even say hello to. Mm. And if you don't even know what is not working, then you're just on this constant to the point that you get to 20 years later and say, yeah, I shouldn't have done this. But just And I think that sacred pause, as my other coach says, that sacred pause every now and again, possibly every three, six months, maybe a year maximum is so important to just do a stock take of what's working and what's not. So we just don't pile all the shit on top. 
Absolutely. I, I, I think that I can, again, I can relate to so many of the things selfishly I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm so glad that we had Yemi Pen on the podcast today. And how did the universe work itself out that you were here when yesterday I made a very, very difficult decision in my life, something that wasn't working for me, I had to let go. And it took me months. I knew that it wasn't working, but, but having the strength to say that it wasn't working and then to do something about it, that took me so much time to get the courage to admit that number one to myself and then to actually admit it to the other person. And I had been theorizing in my mind how that client was going to react And it was such an incredible, powerful discussion. And it was met with understanding and love and compassion Mm. and friendship and support. But in my mind, in my head, I was already prognosticating into the future that, oh, when you say this, this is going to happen. And even my Mark said to me, he said, will you stop doing that? And I call it like, stop trying to solve for problems that don't yet exist. We're our worst enemy. We can be. We can be. Wow, good for you for at least acknowledging it. it. It's huge. People underestimate how much you release in your body by yeah. just acknowledging. Oh my God, exactly. And you had just talked about using a business coach. It sounds like you have more than one business coach, but I know that you yourself are a business coach, W squared coaching. You're all mm. about empowering people and organizations to be the best versions of themselves. Talk to us a little bit about your coaching. Are you, are you accepting clients right now? <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling with it, which is why I'm going to set up a mastermind because as I continue to do my work and, and increase my profile, to because I, I really do want to be a different voice. I think all our voices are different, but I'm really ready to take it re- really global. So I, I do struggle to take one-on-one clients. However, I will be doing a mastermind and I'll be announcing that at the end of May. But effectively, the way I tend to work is is kind of posing questions. I heard this from Tony Robbins, who was my coach at some point, is the quality of your questions determine the quality of your life. Mm. And and I that really resonated with me because if I'm feeling a certain way, I ask myself, why am I feeling that way? But then I think with the quality of the questions comes radical honesty. And I think both of those have to meet each other. And, and compassion. Oh my gosh, I feel like that's a formula. I love my formulas. It's questions, radical honesty, and compassion. And I think you get growth. I mean, you you get sweet, sweet growth with that. So those those are the that's literally how I operate with people. But I, and I don't want them to rely on me. I want them to rely on them. And so I'm kind of like the I'm kind of like the guide who kind of has the torch and says, well, you've got a few options here, but let's talk through, let's talk through what's on your mind before you decide, but you decide, get comfortable with deciding and being okay with winning and failing or whatever the term is. I think that's, I think that's where, that's where my superpower lies is getting them comfortable with the uncomfortable, but also getting them to be their biggest cheerleader. Hmm. Well, I, I can't even imagine what it was like to have been coached by Tony Robbins. You have a very strong personal brand, a very strong presence out there. I look forward to what that next iteration of your work is going to be. For women who are considering, have you always been coached? Like, do you think that part of our superpower, Yemi, is that we should all have coaches? I mean, right now I have a book mentor. I don't have a business coach, right? I don't have a yeah. personal coach. Should I have one? Do I need one to take me to the next level? 
as someone who's been coached and and been coached, what would you say to that? I would say yes, but I think it's a team. I think it's a team that you can always switch on and off. The truth of the matter is I think all of us, if you have friendships, there's element of coaching, but because I need mine to be defined because I do have goals, I find having a coach is great. I mean, sometimes you can go to a therapist, kinesiologist, and they can help you unravel things, but I find it to be very different, very, very different from a coach. When I coach people, it's actually not only to help them through their personal development, but also help them achieve what they want to achieve or be. So I really love that be, do, have. Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? So I kind of really like that in my philosophy of coaching. And as a result, that's what I asked for in mind. So I had a Tony Robbins coach at some point who was really great, but it was very do focused and it was wonderful. I achieved a lot of things and I was able to check myself. Now I've I've specifically gone for a spiritual coach because I don't want to do, I want to be comfortable with whether it's having less money or more money. I want to be comfortable with owning 10 businesses to owning none because I'm really trying to get to the essence of who I am. But I want a coach regardless who can ask me the questions that my subconscious will not allow me to ask. That's so huge right there, what you just said. We tend to, again, think of this coaching aspect. Everything has been in a do, do, do mode. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? What are you going to, when you have the PhD, how do you see your life changing as a result of that? Oh, beautiful questions. I really love your questions. They're so intentional. And, and this is why I'm so grateful for platforms like, like yours, Tina, because once again, you're, you ask questions. So I get to know me better and, yeah. and, there's no, and, and I get to do it with you and your audience. I'd be lying if I didn't say I love the model that Brene Brown has taken. I'm really big on modeling. Someone said to me, I'm where Brene Brown was at 10 years ago, but I'm going to make that five or three years because (laughs) I like everything now, which is starting a conversation on topics that typically we we wouldn't have in the narrative. But if I was to go further, what I really want to do is make documentaries. I mean, I don't know if Sir David Attenborough, he does these documentaries around the planet Earth. He's there are lots of people that do it that they're really educating us on planet earth and biodiversity and as a result how we can care for it i would i would love to sign a contract with a hbo or or some some platform who's brave to to allow me to spearhead a conversation on our trauma to spearhead Mm. things that we have lost but also talk about how we can clean it so right. that would be the ultimate and, and to do that and to get whether it's a five, 10 year contract and not, not, not as, not to glorify the pain we've been through because that, that's kind of where media has been irresponsible. They've been irresponsible with how they do it. How can we do this in a delicate way? But we've got to do it. We can't keep on putting plasters over really deep wounds. Racialized trauma is one. Then you've got other, I mean, and, and I feel it happening in a different wave now. And we've got to we've got to have those conversations. Once I finish my PhD, that that's literally what I want to do is to continue my research, but in the most creative, compassionate form. Oh. And then obviously do speaking. That's that's where I'm, and that's the clarity I have at forty, which I'm so grateful for. Oh, it's going to manifest without. Oh, without. thank you. And the interesting thing is, Yemi, that was a question that would just was not prepared at all. Oh, no. That just kind of came through the way that I also see it is I can hear your voice and I could see it on Netflix. In the beginning, Mm. Netflix was known for these like different kinds of episodic programming. Now what I'm seeing is I watch a lot of documentaries on Netflix. I recently watched something about Marilyn Monroe, Robert Kennedy, 
And I'm I'm fascinated by that. So I I see that programming of this kind now has an outlet and now has a place where if we were talking about it five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, it would have been the most wild, far-fetched idea that it would have never had a place. You would have had to do it yourself and put it on a YouTube channel. You've just spoken something into existence. And I really want to speak to the power of that. When you asked me, that was such a gift because the minute you share a vision, especially with people who can hold that space for you, it, it gets wings. It gets wings and it flies. And and I just, it feels once again, just like a download, as I call it, for everybody to do that. Find the people who can hold it for you. Even if they don't believe that it can happen, they don't say it. They just know that because you believe, they believe. And it happens. So I want to say thank you. And I can't wait to come back and say, oh my gosh, Tina, remember when you said that? (laughs) Well, I took it and my guides took it. My ancestors took it and we made it happen. And that's how we contribute to radical change in the world, full stop. So I see you and I thank you. Well, I I don't want to take you any more from your retreat, but we do have a last question. First of all, I wanted to make sure that people who want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Look, Instagram is probably the best way because my e- even though it's getting busy, my, my emails, I'm just struggling to keep on top. But you can find me at yemi.pen, Y-E-M-I dot P-E-N-N. And that's the same as my website, yemipen.com. I, I will keep it up to date, the mastermind coming up. I know lots of people tend to want to have a chat with me and I really do everything I can, but it's beginning to really tire me out having individual conversations. So that's why I want to put this mastermind together to support. And and every year I open up to about three one-on-one coaching and, and who knows that might be you as well. Thank you. And I'm a big fan of masterminds. I belong to a few of them. My oh. last one was in Montreal. And oh. what I can tell you is that you not only feed off the energy of the mastermind of that master person, that master authority, but there's so much peer-to-peer learning I'm still in touch with the people from that mastermind. And I felt like we were all in it, in it together, that there were people who could identify. And there were other people that would ask questions that I would say, oh, wow, Yemi, I'm so glad that that they asked that question. That was exactly what I was thinking of, or, or even something that you never thought to ask. The other question that we've been asking revolves around charity and philanthropy. And I I feel Mm. that women and men who have been on this podcast, Mm. I think there's a common thread to our guests here. And that is that they believe in service to other people and other things greater than themselves. So we're asking as a last question in this year, season three, if you could introduce us to a charity, a nonprofit, a GoFundMe, a cause that you believe in. And I also find this equally fascinating because you're in Australia, right? And I'm here in the US. So I'm so excited for your answer to this question. Yeah, look, this is this charity is very, well, I want to say similar. I've kind of modeled because I've recently just set up a charity, but still in the early workings of it. But it was the closest one I could find that was close to my heart. And this is called Blue Knot Foundation. So Blue, then K-N-O-T Foundation. They have been pioneering for a very long time. It originally started out with childhood trauma. And as I continue to do my research, it's kind of like the best place to begin with trying to, I guess, raise and facilitate healthy adults is to start with the childhood element and they do a really great job of having the conversation I think sometimes they struggle like we can't they don't seem to be very present on social media but organizations do reach out to them 
where they end up working with organizations and being trauma in that's that's a, a charity that I really have a lot of time for and to be honest really hoping to to partner with them in the coming months and years good when when do you expect to be completed with the PhD program 2025 February mm-hmm. But I'm going to, but every year, I think at the end of every year up until then. So we're, we're tw- are we, tw- my goodness, 22 now, 23, 24. At the end of all those years, there'll be pivotal outputs from my, from my research that I'm really keen to share either by way of papers or it might be mini documentaries. But yeah, that's great. Can't wait to do that. Well, yeah. we're so proud of you, Yemi. Thank you very much for Thank being you. a voice on so many subjects, but especially on the subject of trauma, which is really difficult to talk about it. I know that it's going to reach someone and that you are going to help them to get better and to show a side of themselves that will help them. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And of course, so that we'll keep up with everything that you're doing. And thank you so, so much, Yemi, for being here today. I appreciate your time so much, especially you're on a retreat. And the fact that you that you took time out for us means the world, the absolute world. Congratulations on you, on you being you and your PhD program. I'm really excited for that. I receive it. Thank you so much. Such an absolute joy and honor. And I, I feel it. I feel this conversation is going to take us both to great places. So thank you. You're listening to In The Suite, a podcast that shares amazing stories of women in business in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Our producers are Tina Powell and Kevin Hirshhorn. Our editor-at-large is Kevin Hirshhorn. Our content writers are Dimple Roshandani, Daniel Wheeler, and Tina Powell. Please let us know how you enjoyed this amazing episode with Yemi Penn and share your thoughts on social media, hashtag In The Suite. You can connect with Yemi on LinkedIn and visit her website at yemipen.com. That's Y-E-M-I-P-E-N-N.com. And go there because you'll find links to all of her social, including her Instagram that has almost 4,000 followers. And thank you so much for listening and subscribing and giving us five-star reviews. We are so, so grateful to you. We've got listeners in 1,281 cities and 60 countries. That number completely blows my mind. We owe it to you. So thank you so much for listening. And please feel free to email me at tina at inthesweetpodcast.com to pitch guests for seasons four in 2023 and let us know who you want to see here in the suite. Thank you again so much for listening and subscribing to In The Suite.